Okay, we're live. We want to welcome everybody that's watching us, wherever you're watching us at from around the globe and all you that are here in the building tonight. Those of you that will get this podcast sometime, we appreciate all of our podcast listeners, those folks of you that have joined us from around the world. We, we feel privileged that you would join us because you can listen to anybody you want to. You don't have to listen to us. So we are thankful that you've uh, chosen to stand for God's Word with us here in this fellowship and in this ministry, Basilea Ministry, that's uh, uh, got places around the world. So we thank you for that, and we, we're encouraged by that. We're going to pick up in chapter 22 of Revelation tonight. Uh, uh, this is the last chapter in the book, and it's the last chapter in the entire book, so as it's been uh, laid out here from Genesis through Revelation. So let's pray, and then I want to show you a few pictures here before we get started. We're going to back up into chapter 21, just a few verses, and then we'll take off. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and mercy. We thank you for your kindness toward us. We thank you for your long-suffering, how long-suffering you are, Lord. All we need to do, each one of us, is look in the mirror, and we know how wonderful your long-suffering is. We thank you, Lord, for... Your word, it is a treasure to us. We find so many wonderful things, and it is a lamp unto our feet and a light in our path. It is the way to eternal life. You are the word made flesh, Jesus, and we give you praise, and we thank you. And help us to have understanding so that we would be more <clears throat> encouraged and strengthened and provoked to do your will as we race toward the end of time. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to show you a few clips here on the screen. You can just uh, put them up there and I'll uh, point them out. So this is a rendering of uh, maybe the new temple that's going to happen over in Israel there. Pretty magnificent uh, feat to put this together. Israel's worked on models and things for years about how the temple will be resurrected, so to speak, and then the Antichrist will actually go in that temple. Let's go to the next picture. <clears throat> and this is an artist's rendering of what the city, that we, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven might would look like as it came down, like gold sparkling as it comes to sit on the earth's surface. We read about that last week. And then finally, we have a third picture here. That's about the size on a map of what the new Jerusalem's going to be like. So you can see how much of the United States it would consume. Uh, so what we understand about the end of the age is that all the land will go back together like it was created originally. And if that were the case, uh, Israel, Jerusalem, originally would have been in the center of the land. And that's what will happen again. Jerusalem will come down. You can see, if you get a globe out, you can see how all the continents were together at one time, which is how God created the land all in one place. And then you read about passages that tell us when the land was broke up with the flood and, and Peleg and different situations. So parts of the land, I'm sure, that were original were probably under the water too, so we're probably missing parts. Uh, but one of the, <clears throat> this tells you how smart the world is. They decided uh, on, I forget if it was the Geo or Discovery Channel, which I enjoy some, but some of the stuff they come up with is 
crazy. So they found a rock wall in South America, and they found what they believe the same rock wall in Africa. And instead of getting to God's word and seeing that the earth was divided, that one, they decided that some people, and they think we're crazy, they decided some people got in a canoe and sailed all the way across the Atlantic in a canoe and, and got that wall on course just because they wanted to leave a legacy for themselves. How far do you think they got out of Africa in that canoe before things went bad? <laughs> so uh, we got faith in an almighty God who's in control of everything, and we see that. So let's go to uh, Revelation chapter 21, <clears throat> and uh, let's back up to verse 22. We, uh, we finished chapter 21, but let's go back to verse 22, and I'm going to read through here and, and bring you into chapter 22 as we go through here. I want to point out something here in this uh, passage before we get to 22. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city had no need for the sun, of the sun or of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of, the Lord, of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. So we're talking about the new kingdom. We're talking about a new earth, a new heaven. And we see this little clip about the nations. And we got Jerusalem coming down, probably in the center of the earth's land mass at that point. Everything back to rest, been restored. And then we read about this, these nations. Because I think most of us probably grew up thinking... Everybody was going to be inside Jerusalem, right, at that point. But it doesn't seem that that's so. Just hold that thought and we'll come back to that. This word saved is a word I love. In the Greek, it's sozo. And uh, I'll write this up here for you in case you uh, are. This is the word that we translate saved in a lot of places in the New Testament. Sozo. Have you been sozoed? That's a new word you can pull out on people when you're witnessing. Say, have you been sozoed? Uh, this word, I want you to listen to the meanings of this word. It's a powerful word. The nations that are saved. Did you see that? So they're not just nations. The nations of those who are saved. Now, if you remember, nations who refused to honor God during the millennial, because you got Jesus here on earth, and those people who are here on earth in the millennial, if they refuse to come to Jerusalem and honor the Lord during the Feast of Tabernacles, they don't get any rain, he said. Now, there's a lot of stuff that we can't connect all the dots to, but we do have enough inf information to know that those people in the millennial kingdom who made it through the tribulation period, they have natural bodies. And long life is restored. We talked about all this. And the Bible says if somebody dies at 100 years old during that 1,000-year reign, they'll be considered a child. But you still have natural people. And when you get to the end of that 1,000-year reign, the, the devil, is he's bound for that 1,000 years. Now, it doesn't say the demons are. But their leader is bound during that 1,000 years in what, we call the bottom, or what the Bible calls the bottomless pit. 
then he's loosed at the end of that thousand year reign. And he's able to gather up nations of people to side with him. Now that's pretty wild to even think about that these people on earth during that time have access to Jesus. And they still refuse him. Now do you see why hell's as bad as it is? I mean, how, how bad is sin that it would cause somebody to have access, not just to Jesus in prayer, as we do now, but to actually to go see Him and refuse to serve Him. It's mind-boggling to me. But it says, these nations are saved. Now this word sozo means the people who... This is the definition for this word. Delivered from danger. Preserved. Free from sickness. Eternal life slash salvation. Free from bondage and sin. Delivered from God's wrath. Kept safe. Guarded or watched over. Free from demon possession. And getting on well. I like that last one. Getting on well. That's a good catchphrase for us. When somebody asks you how you're doing, say, I'm so old and getting on well. That's, that word is a powerful word that's used all through the New Testament. And in this context here, we're talking about people who are delivered, saved, free, have eternal life, those people. Now, that's going to be important because we're going to see something else come up here in just a few minutes. Uh, shall walk in the light. These people, the nations of those who are saved, shall walk in the light. The kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. This city that come down out of heaven. So there's still people here on earth that are parts of nations that have surrendered, sided with the Lord. It appears that they don't have the same status as those of us who went in the rapture or who, who had died in Christ. And, and live inside this new Jerusalem. We have different benefits. But this hold your thoughts. I know this is, this is stuff that I've been working hard to get a little bit of understanding on. And it says, uh, Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. They shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter anything that defiles or causes an abomination, or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So that's an exclusive place, right? Those who've sided with Christ. Verse 1 of chapter 22, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street, and on either side of the river, was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there those guys are again. There comes those nations back up. Now, let me draw a little bit of a game plan here that, uh, that I believe the Scripture bears out. Let me try this again here. 
I want to get this in front of you. So this is the, time, the plan that we see God has. If I start back here at ground zero with Adam or Adam, then we race 4,000 years to the cross past Adam. And then actually we would, that would be 4,000 years would be just prior to the cross. 4,000 years have expired. So Jesus would be going to the cross in the early part of the the last or the fifth thousand year picture. So from here to here, we have these two days or these 2,000 years that Hosea talks about because Israel got scattered after this. So after the crucifixion in 70 AD, Israel scattered and they were scattered for nearly two days or 2,000 years. And that's what God said would happen to him in Hosea. Then he would start gathering them back in. As he gathers them back in, he's getting them ready for this 70th week that Daniel talks about. He said 69 weeks will go until Messiah is cut off at the cross. So that stopped right here at the cross. Then there's a a lapse of time because Israel was scattered. This is called in the New Testament... The time of the Gentiles. So God turns to the Gentiles to offer salvation to the Gentiles. Then this seven years of tribulation. Am I making a mess here? This seven years of tribulation is that 70th, that last week. And Daniel actually divides those in chapter 9. He divides the 69 from the last week. This last week is where the Antichrist shows up. And he goes into that temple we talked about. Now, we, we believe in pre-trib, we believe the rapture takes place right here at the beginning or right before the beginning of this seven years of tribulation. And I've shared this many times, but let me just go over it because we never know who our audience is. Uh, not only does Paul uh, say that God has not appointed us to wrath and all the things we learn in the New Testament about a pre-trib rapture, but in the Old Testament as well that Jacob's first choice was uh, Rachel. He got Leah. He worked seven more years and got his first choice, which was Rachel. God's first choice, don't take that offensively, but just take it as God's pattern here, was the Jews. They turned on him. He got the tender-eyed. He's going to get the tender-eyed people first, the Gentiles, and then he's going to work labor seven more years and bring Israel home. Those are all scripturally clear. And then David, King David, He reigned from Hebron for seven years, the Bible says, with those people who wanted him to be king. And then he moved his headquarters to Jerusalem and exercised his authority over the whole kingdom, whether they liked it or not. Beautiful picture of Christ. This seven-year tribulation, we're going to leave. We're going to Jesus in heaven because we want him to be king, right? We're the ones that want him to be the king. So we go to him there. He rules over us seven years. Then he comes back to Jerusalem, and rules over the whole earth. The whole world comes under his authority during the millennial reign. And so, this what happens, there'll be some people, a lot of people are going to lose their lives. Probably half the world's population will be dead by the end of this seven years. 
you take those that went up in the rapture and those that are that go through this, half the world population will be dead, but there'll still be, you know, probably a few billion people, a couple billion, three, that will walk into this millennial kingdom as natural people. Well, depending on who gets to go in, the sheep will go in, the goats will be kicked out. But when they go into this, this time, the Bible in Isaiah, we talked about some of this, that judgment will be on the spot. Nothing will be put off. You won't, if, if somebody rebels, now we won't be rebelling because we've, when we see him, we'll be like him. Our, our time's over. We made it. We got a glorified body. We're on his team. We're in his army, whatever. But these natural people that go in here to populate this kingdom, they have to make a choice, especially the ones that are born during this time. The people will continue to have children. They're going to have to make it a choice to follow Christ. And, and I, evidently, not everybody does because at the end of this thousand year, the devil rounds up a bunch that sides with him. We read all that. It's interesting to me that that would happen. But So these people will go in. Now what will happen during this time because Jesus will be ruling with us here on the earth. We will be under his authority. Then these people, if somebody rebels, they won't get to go sit in a jail cell for six months. They'll go straight and be judged. Straight and be judged. They'll be judged on the spot. And so uh, these people will be going through. Now, at the end of this, there'll be another judgment. And I'm going to leave it there. Let's go back to the scripture. We'll come back to that in just a minute. Because look what he says. He says, the leaves, we got this new Jerusalem. We got this new heaven, new earth. And it says the leaves of the tree that he was taught tell us about the tree of life that you and I will not need because we'll have a supernatural body, right? But evidently, there are people... I'm going to give you some thoughts. Everybody say, the preacher's going to give us some of his thoughts. They may not be worth a nickel. All right? But these nations keep popping up and they keep popping up after everything's pretty much done. So who are they? We know they're the saved, right? We read where they're the, they're the sozoed. These people are sozoed. It looks like, I'm giving you some thoughts here, it looks like that these natural people that were still moving through the millennial and make it to the new heaven and the new earth, that they're going to go back to the original plan that God had for Adam and Eve. They're going to be sustained eternally. But the people who sided with Christ and fought the battles with him and went to war against Satan with him, which would be you and I, we're going to have a different status. We're going to have glory. We're going to be like the angels, he said. It's hard, to, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around that he keeps bringing these people up and he talks about people who need healing. He tells us, those of us that go, that there's going to be no more sickness, no more dying. He's going to wipe away all of our tears. And there's no, no evidence that these people are not going to live forever. It appears they're going to live forever. But it looks like these people may be living in the state that was originally created. Adam and Eve were going to live forever, but they were told what to eat and what not to eat. And the, and the Lord came by in the cool of the evening and spoke with them and sustained them with his word. 
So whoever these nations are, we know they've, they're saved people. For whatever reason, they've made their way through all these seasons that's took place. <clears throat> and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. They shall see His face, and His name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God lives them, uh, gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. So we're talking about eternal beings no matter where they're at. But I think one of the things that some of us thought, and I probably thought this for a long time, that everybody's going to be in that city. But that's, the Bible's actually shit telling us that there's going to be kings out in the earth with nations that are going to come and honor him. What their status is, we don't fully know. Other than this, that they're sozoed. We know they're saved, and, and we know, obviously, they're going to live forever like the rest of us. But if they have a different setup, if they're more like what God intended for Adam and Eve when he restores the earth, there's no way to know that for sure. But we do see these nations keep coming up. So everybody is apparently not going to live in the New Jerusalem. Because when the New Jerusalem, if you put all the land mass... Now, when I showed you that picture of how much of, a, of, a, of North America it would cover, that's a lot of land. But when you put all the land back together, it's not going to cover even a third of the land. It's going to be a giant city. There's no question about that. But you're going to have a lot of land out in the, the world as you put all the land mass back together, as it comes back together. So God, when you read Peter... It talks about the earth being renovated. The Greek word means to be renovated or returned or restored. So as God puts everything back together like he had it in the original creation, as his intention was, there's going to be, obviously, nations out there that are saved. People, people in those nations are saved. Now, that doesn't change the fact that it that everybody had to make an individual choice because when the devil gets loosed after that thousand years, I know I'm throwing a lot at you, but we've went over a lot of this stuff, so I'm just really trying to lace the shoe up here. That when the devil gets loosed here, he finds a multitude of people that had rather side with him and fight against the Lord Jesus than to side with Jesus. Mind-blowing how that would happen. But that's true. That's what happens. The Bible's clear about that. So you've got all these nations. He says, they shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads. And this is why the devil always tries to copy what God's done. He wants to get his name or seal or number or whatever. Uh, they shall be no light there. Uh, there shall be no night there. They uh, need no lamp nor light of the sun. For the Lord God gives them light and they shall reign forever and ever. So we've, got, we've only got saved people left. How they get distributed and how these nations are put in place by God, I don't, we don't have enough information for that. But we know all these people are sozoed, they're saved, and they have eternal life. They don't appear to have the same status as the people inside the Jerusalem. 
in, in one sense of the word, but as far as eternal life, it looks like they all are going to have that and be sustained. There's just no way around that, I don't think. Uh, then he said to me, he said, uh, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. Now, let me go over that. Why would he say shortly? Because we've been, we've been watching and we, we know how long it's been. Or we have a, a pretty close idea of how long it's been since Jesus uh, went back to the Father. But let me draw this timeline again uh, so at zero 4,000 years have passed 5,000 years that has begun Jesus shows up and goes through his life and lays his life down on that and let me put it in terms we can understand you have Monday Tuesday Wednesday Thursday all of those are done before Jesus even shows up. Now, I'm putting it in terms we understand. Because a thousand years is as a day, days is as a thousand years. Israel was scattered, the Bible says, for two days. Because that, that is a prophetic statement. When uh, Psalmist said a thousand years is a day, and a day is as a thousand years with the Lord, he wasn't just making that statement to say that time don't mean anything to God. God's the one that invented time. What he's saying there, because Peter takes that very quote out of the Psalms, puts it in the third chapter of his second epistle, and that whole chapter is about the end of time. And Peter uses, actually the Holy Spirit uses it there to express God's plan. So, Jesus, if you can follow me here, Jesus shows up on Friday morning. Alright? I'm putting it in terms we get. This last, this seventh day, what, what is called the millennial, that is uh, the last thousand years, which is a time of rest, which is exactly in line with God's creation. So this last thousand year, or this last day, this is, when you read in the prophets, when they say the day of the Lord... That's what they're referring to. They're referring to the time when the Lord returns and takes over and brings peace. That's the day of the Lord. The number six is the number for man. Man gets to do his thing for six days or 6,000 years. And then the day of the Lord happens and man no longer gets to do his thing. God shows up. Jesus shows up and takes over. So if you can have this. Jesus showed up on Friday morning, did his work on his first advent, right? Your Bible's built around two main themes, right? Jesus is coming and Jesus is coming. That's the main thing. Then, then if Jesus showed up on Friday morning, guess where, where we're at? We're on Saturday evening. That's how close we are. That's why we have this hourglass To remind everybody that we're close. We're very close to the end of the age. God loves the number seven. He builds his plan on number seven. Creation was on number seven. We find out so much about God's plan through that number seven. Seven means completeness. It means things are completed. 
Now, let me show you a few other things as we go through the end of this chapter. He says, Then he said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of this prophecy of this book. Now, we, we use this word a lot. The word blessed means is uh, markarios in the Greek. It's the word we translate blessed or blessed. It means recipient of divine favor. Now, look, look what he just said. He said, I'm coming quickly, Jesus did. And the word quickly is uh, tachos in the Greek. And it means, it suggests sooner than later or speedily. Behold, I am coming sooner than later. And recipient of divine favor are the ones who keep the words of this book. Now, we, we, we love all of God's word. A third of your Bible is prophecy. So if you don't study prophecy or if preachers don't preach prophecy or teach the book of Revelation, they're leaving a third of the Bible out. Which most of them don't even get in the Old Testament anyway. And they're also leaving these blessings out. What do you say in the very front of this book? He's saying the same thing in the end. Blessed, same word, Markarios, receiver of divine favor, are the ones who read, hear, and do. Now there's nothing any better for any of us than to be recipients of God's divine favor. I don't care what you think you got waiting on you in certain situations. There's nothing any better going on in our life than the favor of the Lord. Nothing. Because when this world systems fail, the people who have the favor of the Lord are the ones that are going to be benefited and blessed in the middle of trouble. That's what happened with Israel and Egypt. I, John, saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Look what this angel did. Then the angel said to me, See that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant and your brethren, uh, and of the, your brethren the prophets and of those who keep the words of this book. He says, Worship God. Worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. All right? Hold that thought, and let's run back to Daniel chapter 9. In Daniel chapter 9... Uh, he's, when Daniel got all these prophetic words about the end of time. Let's look at verse um, 24. He said, uh, 70 weeks are determined for your people, and this is something we talked about, and for your holy city, to finish transgressions, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, uh, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. That's, he's talking about all these things that are going to take place. <clears throat> and I, I'm not going to read through all this. I just popped in my brain. But he tells Daniel to seal it up. John, he don't. He gave Daniel some understanding about the end of time. He said, seal this up because the time is not at hand. It's not now. Different than what he told John here. See what he said? He says, uh, he says, do not seal the words of this prophecy of the book, for the time is at hand. Why would he say that? If, 
If I, if I took you back to this illustration I just gave you here, with all this on it, the seven days, when we get to Friday, what do we all feel like? The week's about done, ain't it? Because we know Sunday's a day of rest, or it used to be, uh, and that Saturday is right around the corner. We feel like we're almost there. So when you look at God's plan, and Jesus came on Friday morning, we're living on Saturday evening. These guys that were here on Friday, the week's about over. Four days are gone. The last day's a day of rest, so you got, you're already in that fifth day. You just got one more day to get to the day of rest. So that's where we're at, right? Friday's here. Saturday's, we're already in the fifth day. Sixth day is Saturday, and seventh's a day of rest. So that's, that's why he speaks the way he does. We're so close. We're in the fifth of the six days that, might, that have our, our destiny in them. That last day is a day of rest, that millennial kingdom. And then he said to me, do not seal, do not seal these words. Then he says, he who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. So there's a time when it's over. You can't change. No longer an opportunity to be different, to come to Christ. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 3. Let me show you something that's interesting that he told the prophet along these lines here. In Ezekiel chapter 3, when you think about People running out of time, right? Death is certainly the first place that people can run out of time. We don't, we don't have the promise of tomorrow. So death could show up at our door. And we know God's in charge of that. Uh, and He determines when somebody's days are over. I've shared this with you before, but... This big black limousine rolls up in the in the house next to another guy who's standing on the porch, and and death gets out of the limousine, and he asked the neighbor, said, "Where's your neighbor at?" And he said, "He heard you were coming, and he went to New York." <laughs> and then, so death's getting back in the car, and the neighbor says to death as he's getting in the car, "said Where are you going?" He said, "I'm going to New York. This guy's got an appointment with me, and he'll have to keep it." You can't run when it's our time. It's our time. So death stops that, right? It's the point a man wants to die and then the judgment, right? Now I'm getting ready to read a couple of things to you and say a couple of things to you that's going to be real sobering to us. And it's going to challenge us to make sure that the wrong things are not important to us. Listen to what he tells Ezekiel in verse 16. Now it came to pass of chapter 3. Now it came to pass at the end of seven days. Did I not tell you which chapter? Ezekiel 3 verse 16. Now it came to pass at the end of seven days that the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Now let me say something. If you are called to preach, you better make sure. Better make sure. Because you receive greater judgment. Read James. Read Malachi. Malachi. Whatever you want to call it. But we all. Are watchmans. To a degree. God has made all of us. Responsible. To share him. With some circle. That he's put us in. 
my responsibility has grown over time, and certainly with media now, that I'm responsible for what I hand off. And that's why if I have an opinion, I try to make it real clear I'm giving you an opinion. But that's why most of the time I'm going verse by verse. So you're responsible. And this is what he says to him. He says, I've made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, hear a word from my mouth and give a warning from me. When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die. Now he's talking to all of us. When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die and you give him no warning. Nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life. That same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Yet if you warn the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. Jesus didn't pull any punches, really, did he? I mean, he, we know he's the most compassionate. But the standard for being compassionate now in our world, if you noticed, is to drop the truth. Have you noticed that? Don't tell me the truth or you're not compassionate. That's not compassionate. That's, that's deceptive. Jesus, we read this this morning in our Bible study. Jesus said, if your hand offends you, cut it off. If your foot offends you, cut it off. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. He said, because it's better to go through life maimed than to miss heaven. Now that's about as plain and straightforward talk as anybody's ever done. And so he, he Jesus, what good? He's the same, Jesus, same one that told us, what good is it? If a man gains the whole world and loses his soul. Do you know why Jesus was so serious about everything? Because he knew what was at stake better than any of us. He's the one who told us the story about Lazarus and the rich man. He talked twice as much about hell as he did heaven. Because it's real. And for all these preachers that need to get out of the pulpit and find them another job who say there's no heaven, no hell, I don't care what kind of hate mail I get. You need to get out of the pulpit and get a job. Because until you get resurrected to eternal life, I'm sticking with Him. And what He taught. And Jesus taught there was a heaven, and he taught there was a hell, and he continues to teach that. Now notice this next line. Again, when a righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die because you did not give him warning. He shall die in his sin, and his righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered. But look what he said to Ezekiel. But his blood I will require at your hand. Now are you too busy to share the gospel with people? Is your life and what you've got going more important 
than keeping people from going to hell. Then he goes on to say, he says, but his blood, nevertheless, if you warn the righteous man that the righteous should not sin and he does not sin, he shall surely live because he took warning. Also, you have delivered your soul. So it's important for us to be as serious as Jesus was about this and to make sure that we tell people the truth. You can do it in love and you don't have to stay there and beat them over the head. The Bible says don't cast your pearl before the swine. If you shake the dust off and move on, that's all reality. But at least tell them. Now, I've said this, and I, I had a, a bad moment many years ago. I had an opportunity to witness somebody, and I passed it up. I saw them once in my life. I've never seen them since. That's probably been... 35 years ago or more. I was reading this a few years later. And it hit me. What I had not done. Because I can remember feeling the Lord prompting me to witness to him. And I didn't. Be real with you, alright? I, I was in the church that I was pastoring by myself and for the first time in my life I felt what it was like to want to wrench your clothes because I knew that God had given me an opportunity to share his love and his truth with somebody and I just passed it up it was so real and so sober to me I I just wanted to just rent my clothes. I wept. I had, I, I had a puddle of tears. I was so broken. And I realized I'd missed the opportunity. So what I've done since then, that person was from Buffalo, New York. I don't even remember their name now. But what I've done since then is pray for God to send somebody to them to do the job that I didn't do. Now we're not responsible for when we're lost and when we don't know we're not taught right. I knew I was I was responsible. And that was hard. It's been hard. It's been hard. I learned a valuable lesson. That's why I say to you, if you're going to ask me to visit one of your loved ones, I'm going to find out if they're saved or not. So if you don't want me to find out if they're saved or not, if you're afraid of somebody getting offended, you better not ask me to go see them. You know why? Not only did I have that experience, but if heaven and hell is real, then we all better be finding out who's saved and who's not. Now, I thank God I've repented and I've begged Him and pleaded with Him to send somebody to do something that I should have done that I didn't. And I'm just giving you my own experience. And I understand my accountability. But if, if we're serious about this, then we need to reach out to people. And again, you can't beat them over the head. I've had doors slammed in my face. I've been spit on, cursed. 
left horrible messages on my answer machine. That's why we don't have one anymore. <laughs> but I've, I've went home several times and got the answer machine when my family was still at home before they grew up and glad that I listened to it before one of them did. So I understand that. I understand people are hard sometimes. But if you share the gospel with them, share the, God's love and his truth with them, then you've relieved yourself of that burden. Now, what they do with it, that's between them and God. And you can do things in love. And you'll see if the door's open. And, and here's what I have found out. And I, I have found out. And I have found this so many times. I don't write people off. That's God's job. That's not mine. Sometimes you can't be around people and you can't fellowship them because they don't want to be around you or whatever. But I don't write them off. I don't have the authority to do that. I can't tell you of the times that people have called me 20 years later and said, I need to talk to you. Tell me about Jesus. My life's a mess. So you just plant those seeds, water it, and when God gets ready to make that thing grow, that's his business. We don't save anybody. But we can certainly tell them the story, the truth. Amen. Let's go back to Revelation. Let's try to get through here. A couple other things I want to show you. Again, he says, uh, Behold, I am coming quickly. Same word. Suggest sooner than later. My reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, first and last. So it all stops, stops, starts and stops with the Lord. There's that word again. Blessed are those who do his commandments. That they may have the right to the tree of life. And may enter through the gates in the city. But outside are dogs, sorcerers, and sexually immoral. Murderers, idolaters. Whoever loves and practices a lie. People who are left out of the new heaven, new earth. The new Jerusalem. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. And remember how we started this book. I am the root and the offspring of David, bright and morning star. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come, and let him who thirsts come, whoever desires, let him taste, excuse me, take of the water of life freely. <clears throat> For I testify to everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this book. Here's another warning. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life and from the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Strong language again, right? It's okay, and I still do this from time to time, it's okay to say, I don't understand that. What I tell Christians, if you see something that you're not comfortable with, if you've got chapter and verse to say, hey, that's not right, that's wrong, that's fine, you can stand right there. But if you see something you're not comfortable with, but you don't know if it's right or wrong, leave it alone. I, I want to remind you of a couple of things here. Would you have thought it was weird the day Jesus spit in the dirt and made mud and put it on that guy's eyes? 
Here's one that I think we would have thought was even more weird. It's when Jesus took some of his own spit and put it on the tongue of the other guy. What I tell Christians is, if you, don't, if you see something that you're not sure about, leave it alone, pray for understanding, let the Lord lead you in that, and He may take you to some Scripture and give you... But don't just... Because that's, that is... If you want to know what... Black, and I've had this question probably asked me more than any other question. I'm just going to go ahead and hit it. I've had people come to me and say, I'm afraid I've blasphemed the Holy Spirit. Right? Because that's the only sin that we can't get forgiven for. Right? My first question to people who say that to me is this. And I think... It's good that this is going out because I get that question a lot. My first question is, well, what is that? And 90-some percent of the time they say, well, I don't know, but I think I've done it. <laughs> so, <clears throat> and then you got the other group that, that would say, well, it means denying Jesus. No, denying Jesus means denying Jesus. If you deny Jesus, you're going to go to hell. <laughs> That's plain. But if you read the context of that scripture, what Jesus is dealing with there, it's when he done something and the Pharisees said that was Satan. You remember that? When actually it was the Holy Spirit in Christ that had done that. When you and I attribute the works of God to Satan, that's blaspheming the Holy Spirit. That's what we got to be careful of. That's why I say to people, if you don't understand something and you don't have chapter and verse to deal with it or you've not found it at that point, leave it alone. Let God give you some understanding because I probably would have been looking like, mm-hmm, when Jesus put his own spit on that guy's tongue, I probably would have been thinking, I just, I'm just trying to be real with you. But in the context, you, if you'll keep things in context and read the whole passage, Jesus tells us what it is. It's where they attribute the works of the Holy Spirit to Satan. The Holy Spirit had done something, and they called it the devil. That's dangerous ground. Now, he goes on to say, this is dangerous too, to add to or taken away. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Do you see how many times he's saying that? Even so, come, Lord Jesus, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. I'm going to take you one more place before we quit. Two more places. Let's go to James. Back up to James chapter 4. And then we'll go right back into Hebrews. The book right in front of James. In James chapter 4. Verse 14, look what he says. James 4 and 14, he says, Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Do you realize everything moves swiftly, quickly? Now, let's back up to Hebrews chapter 11. Look at verse 13. This has to be us. What he's going to say here in Hebrews 11 and 13. Hebrews 11 and 13 says, he talks about this. This is the hall of fame of faith. 
And he says, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, assured of them, embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. I ask myself if that's how I live. Do I live like I'm a stranger and a pilgrim here? Or do I live like I'm going to stay here forever? And the guy that gives us one of the best examples of that in the Bible is Abraham. The Bible says Abraham pitched his tent and built his altars. I'm afraid that a lot of folks in the church pitch their altars and build their tents. In other words, they put more effort, more time, more money into this life than they do their spiritual life. And one thing's for sure, we're just passing through. One thing's for sure, it's like a vapor. How many of you wake up some morning? Hey, I look at people that are 29 and 30 years old and I'm thinking, I'm just like you. And then I go home and I'm like, I'm not like you. <laughs> but in my mind, I think it. Don't. Then I go home and see how much gray hair I'm looking at. How many aches and pains I have when I try to get out of the bed. And I'm thinking... I'm not, but my brain, you know, my brain, because we get caught up in this world, and my brain thinks I'm just like you, and I'm not. And then he, then he says, these people, these good, awesome people who love God, some of them were rich, some of them were poor, they were all kinds of walks of life, but they all had the same attitude about this world. They knew they were just passing through. That's why Job, probably the richest man, one of the richest men that ever lived, the Bible said he was eyes to the blind and he was legs to the lame because he just kept giving and giving. He knew, he, and God just kept giving him and giving him because he knew he wouldn't hoard it up on him. And he kept flooding his life with blessing because uh, Job was just a giver. Abraham was a giver. These guys were just passing through. And he said all these people had the same posture. See that? They confess they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. What are you looking for? I tell you what I'm looking for. Put that one picture back up here where that golden cube's coming down. The other one that's bright and shiny. That looks like a box. <laughs> I gave them all the pictures. They're my fault. But look at that. That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for that. Look what he says. I love this line. He said, they, they such, such things declare plainly. They seek a homeland. And, and he says, what said about Abraham, he's looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. 1,500 miles square. And each gate's one giant pearl. Remember reading that last week. Let me go on just here and then I'll close. He says, And truly, if they had come, called to mind the country from which they had come out of, they would have, op have had opportunity to return. But now they are desire better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. And they're not complete without us, the Bible says. 
I'm looking for that same city. And they all come. Some come out of Egypt. Abraham come out of Chaldea. They all came out of somewhere. You, we all came out of somewhere, right? I came out of a holler. Some of you come off a farm, whatever. We all, but we're all looking for that same city. I'm looking for the same city that Abraham's looking for. And I'll tell you, if the Lord takes me home before he comes back, I'm going to die with my binoculars out. I'm looking for that city, aren't you? Look at this last thing I want to show you here. It says, if, and truly if they'd called to mind the country from which they come out of. That word called means, and means where they called to mind. It means, means they kept it in their mind as an alternative. That's where God is wanting to get us all in the same position Paul was in. Paul got where the world was not an alternative for him anymore. He said, he made this statement. He said, the world is no longer any good for me. And I'm no longer any good for them. We're not compatible. And he turned. The Bible says Job eschewed evil. And the old King James used the word eschewed. You know what that meant? It meant that he turned his back on it and walked out on it. That's what God's asking of us. Get your binoculars out because you're not long for this place. We're just passing through. We're pilgrims and strangers here. We're looking for a city that's made out of gold coming down from heaven. Amen. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your, your wonderful word. We love the book of Revelation. We love your Every book in the book. And we're thankful, Lord, that you've given us some level of understanding. We don't know it all. But we're going to keep digging until you call us out of here. But the thing I want us to leave here with, Lord, myself included, is a burden for the lost that we will tell those people in the right place at the right time as you give us opportunity, we will tell them the truth about heaven and hell. About what's really at stake. And then the other thing I pray for all of us God. Is that we will take on the attitude. Of just being pilgrims and strangers. And we're just passing through. And I think you said in another place. We brought nothing into this world. And we're not taking nothing out when we leave. Teach us how to pitch our tents. And build our altars. In Jesus name. And everybody said. Mm -hmm.